0: The following audio is from Midtown Fellowship in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in becoming a part of our extended family, visit MidtownColumbia.com partner. If I haven't had the pleasure to meet you, I'm Ant, uh, pastor here at Midtown Two Notch. If you're new, if you're a guest, we're super glad you're here uh, worshiping with us. Hopefully we we're able to get you one of our bulletins. We would love for you to fill out the bottom of that. We just call it our sign and drop. At the end of our time together today, we'll be passing our offering baskets around, and we would love for you to drop uh, that in there for us so just so we can acknowledge that you're here. Um, just and we also want you to know that we do appreciate and value your presence uh, here with us. If you can go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, we're going to be going through that passage that I just read to us today. But just uh, in case, um, just in case you haven't been with us, we're in a series uh, that we're calling personal liturgy. Uh, the word liturgy means a routine or a ritual. Uh, so we're basically looking at the different routines and rituals of our lives uh, that actually shape us and form us into who we are. Uh, in the series, we've often been using the phrase, "The things you do do things to you." The things you do, do things to you, we, feel this, we, we find it to be very important uh, that we analyze, uh, as we talked about last, week. we look into how are we structuring our lives and how are those things that, that we are using to structure our lives, how are they affecting us, what, what are they leading us to towards, how, what are they shaping us to be, how, how are they forming us? And we've also looked at different uh, just spiritual enemies, different things that, that, that hinder us from, from walking in the type of spiritual uh, flourishing and vitality that Jesus has for us, uh, things that, that, that prevent us from uh, just living uh, in the abundant type of life that Jesus calls for us to, to live in. The enemy today that we'll be looking into is self-reliance, self-reliance, uh, specifically a spiritual self-reliance where we're talking about living your day-to-day life depending primarily on your own strength and resources. Living your day-to-day life depending primarily on your own strengths, your own strength and resources. It's the mindset that I don't desperately need God in every area of my life, right? There's probably some times in my life where I feel like I do need God and I'll cry out to him, but but generally speaking, I'm, I'm pretty good, right? Gen- generally speaking, I, I'm going to be okay. I can manage to get through this day with, with, without pleading with God for his help and his strength. This Self-reliance, this general feeling that yeah, I I think I'm good. I think I'm good on 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 my own. And just 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 so we're clear, uh, as we talk about self-reliance, we're we're not pushing back against the uh, the kind of the idea of 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 taking responsibilities and having some level of independence uh, in the responsibilities and not always depending on people. We're talking primarily about depending on the Lord. It's very, it's very common for many people in our uh, world today, specifically in our country, that you can build what many people on the outside will look at and be like, that's a really good life you made for yourself. It, it, it's possible maybe through uh, the, the connections that you have or maybe through what you know to be able to, to provide for yourself without relying on God actively every day. But what is not possible is for us to walk in the type of, of, of power in the Holy Spirit, the type of uh, life that produces the fruit of the Spirit in every season Without constant reliance on God, this self-reliance that we, that we have, as we'll get into a little bit later, it actually weakens us further. It actually prevents us from walking with the Lord as we should. Matthew chapter 6, we have what has become known as the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Jesus teaches us to, to make war without self-reliance actually by instructing us to pray. that that prayer is one of the ways that we actually fight against our self-reliance. Prayer is is actively going to God, and a consistent prayer life is actively going to God, the one who is our strength, the one who is all-powerful. And in doing so, we're constantly reminding ourselves and acknowledging that that we cannot just rely on ourselves, that we do need his strength, his help, his power in our lives. I'll read that passage again, and then I'll, I'll pray for us one more time. But when you pray, Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let me pray for us one more time. Lord, we... We're going to need your help with this one. Our pride causes us to desire to rely on ourselves and not rely on you. Lord, would you use uh, the preaching of your word today to humble us, Lord, to, uh, to compel us every day, moment by moment, to, to run to you on our knees, begging you to intervene on our behalf, begging for your power, Lord, begging for your intervention in our lives. Would you teach us to come to you as our Father every day? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So I kind of break up this passage into in two sections. In the first section, he's, uh, Jesus has given us kind of this this disposition, kind of this posture that we should have when we pray. And then after that, he goes into the specific things that, that we need to be praying for. And again, we're going to be looking into this prayer as, as a means of fighting against our self-reliance, as a means of cultivating this reliance on God moment by moment throughout our daily lives. Verses six through nine kind of deals with our, with our disposition, our posture as we go to God and pray. He tells us how, how to pray. When you Verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Then he tells them who who not to be like when you pray. Verse 7, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. These Gentiles or the people that Jesus was referring to will oftentimes try to pray these long, impressive prayers. Right, like the, the, these prayers where they, where they believe they will be heard or maybe be acknowledged more because they say a lot of words. He said, that's, that's, not what this is. that's not what this is all about. Verse 8, do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. He says, pray them like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. When we approach our father, we don't do so to put on a show. We don't do so to try to impress anybody. We go to the father humbly. Verse 10, he goes into what, what do we pray for? When, when we go to God, what does Jesus say is important enough that we need to be praying for these specific things? Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God is a huge theme in, in, in the Bible. It's this, it's this concept of life under the reign and under the rule of God. So when the Bible talks about God's kingdom coming, he's talking about Jesus coming in and that, that he would rule in our hearts that he will rule in in, in how we live, that life will be submitted under him. When he's talking about his kingdom coming and his will being done on earth as it is in heaven, he's saying that that the earth will begin to look more and more like heaven. In heaven where everyone is provided for and no one is abused and no one is, is oppressed, we're to pray that the earth would look more and more like that. In heaven where everyone worships God supremely, we're to pray that the earth will look more and more like that. In the earth and in, in heaven, when those who have been downtrodden are lifted up, we pray that the earth will look more and more like that. In heaven, where, where there is no one who harms anyone else. In heaven, where no one is abused, and all who have been abused have found healing and peace in the Lord. In heaven, where all know the joy of the true hope in Jesus Christ, our Savior. He said, "Pray that God's kingdom will come, that His will will be done on earth." as it is in heaven. He goes on, verse 11, he says, give us this day our daily bread that we're to bring our needs to God. This refers specifically to physical needs, but also I believe it shows us that any need that we have, we bring that to the Lord on a consistent basis. It might be a financial need, might be a material need, might be an emotional need, might be a relational need that you have. We continuously bring our needs to God. Give us this day our daily bread. We see him as our father who provides for us. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts. As we also have forgiven our debtors, that we go to God with our sins, that we confess our sins, that we seek him for true forgiveness, that we trust in him that he has forgiven us. and says, as we also have forgiven our debtors, that we go to God with any unforgiveness that might be in our hearts. We go to God with the God, this person has hurt me, this, guy, this person has offended me, God helped me to forgive them. Give me the strength, give me the grace to forgive them as you have forgiven me. And he says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, keep me from yielding to the temptations that maybe I've yielded to over and over and over again in the past. The the, the sin struggles that I've had maybe for decades at this point, God, that I seem to keep turning to. Lord, deliver me from that. Lord, 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 give me the strength to turn away and let those things go. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Evil, sin in itself. Jesus says those who sin are are slaves to sin or are enslaved to sin. We need to deliver. We need to be freed because sin exerts this power over us. He says, pray, go to the Father and say, deliver us from evil. Take me away from this, Lord. Give me the power to resist these sinful desires that I have. These are important, extremely important things in verses 10 through 13 that Jesus calls us to pray for, what I want to focus on primarily today, and we'll get into uh, in in the later weeks the specific things that he calls us to pray for. What I want to focus on today is this posture that he calls us to have as we pray for all of these specific things, the the disposition, the posture we're to have when we go to the Lord is where I want to spend our time today. To do that, we're we're going to hit six through nine. One more time, there's this one word, I don't know if you caught it, that is brought up four times in verses 6 through 9. I believe it's the primary point that Jesus wants us to get as we understand how we actually go to God. Verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your what? Who is in secret and your what? Who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them for your what? Knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Look how he starts his prayer. Our in heaven, hallowed be your name. The emphasis here, and I believe this is the thing that Jesus wants us to understand first and foremost about our prayer life. We go to our Father. And that dictates how we pray for no no matter whatever it is that we are praying for. We go to him knowing, first and foremost, he is our father. First words in the prayer, our father in heaven. We approach him as one that we have a relationship with. We approach him as one that we trust and one that we look up to. One that we know is going to be there for us. That is how we approach God. We approach him knowing he's our forever dad. That is always with us. And then it says, Hollywood, be your name. This Greek word for for Hollywood there is used to to, to refer to something as being holy and being set apart. It is used to describe something that is pure, that that is free from the guilt of sin. Something that is completely righteous. Jesus says here that our God is both holy and father. He is pure and free from sin. And he is our dad. Which is absolutely crazy because if you know anything about the holiness of God, and his standard for purity and cleanness for those who come before him, you know we should never be able to call him holy and father at the same time. God's standard for holiness is that he is so pure, so free from sin, that he does not allow, he does not look upon with favor any sinful thing in his sight. Those who are sinful do not have the right to fellowship deeply with God. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says it like this. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. God is telling his people in the Old Testament that because of their sin, there's, been, there's a separation between them and God. And it says he has turned his face from them. That sin, the biggest problem in the Bible is that sin has come in and the relationship that mankind had with God in the the Garden of Eden has now been fractured, has now been separated. He sent them out of the Garden of Eden, out of the place where he most fully manifested his presence because of his holiness. He hates, he detests sin more than anything else. He is so holy, pure, clean, and sinless. That those who carry the guilt of sin cannot truly fellowship with him. Micah chapter three verse four. He basically says the same thing. Then they will cry out to the Lord, but He will not answer them. Instead, He will hide His face from them at that time because they have practiced evil deeds. This is the same point. He says He has hidden His face from them. This is a picture of of a lack of fellowship a lack of relationship with God because of their sin. God is not responding to them as a loving father because of their sin. And this is the the dilemma for all of us. Romans 3, Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us deserve, let me be extremely clear with this, all of us deserve, because of our sin, because we've turned away from God so much to not know him, to not be in relationship with God. That is what we all deserve, all of us. We've chosen to turn away from him. We've hurt those that he has made in his image and that he loves. We've desired his provision while rejecting his heart. We've desired his love but rejected his lordship. We've, desired, we've decided that we want to know him but not trust that he knows best for our lives. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And yet, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He's telling sinful, guilty people who have rebelled against God, who have turned against God, whom the Bible has called enemies of God, you actually get to call God your Father. That that he he will actually be your Father no matter how much you have rejected him for all those who place faith in him. How does he do this? He knows about 20 chapters later in the book of Matthew, he's going to go to the cross He's going to carry the sins of the world on his back. He's going to take the sins upon himself. He's going to give all who place faith in him credit for his life of righteousness. That those who were once enemies are now welcomed as sons and daughters. Isaiah 53, 6 says it like this. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That word iniquity just, just means wickedness or sinfulness says that Jesus took, this is the, the good news of the gospel, that Jesus took our wickedness upon himself. He took our sinfulness upon himself, died on the cross, and was raised from the grave, offering the gift of his righteousness to all who believe in him. So now when God sees us, he doesn't seize us for all the flaws and all the times that we've turned away from him and all the times that we've rebelled against him. That's not what he sees. He doesn't see us as these people who are stained and marred by sin, but rather he sees us as those who are clothed in the very righteousness of God himself when he sees us. That is the confidence that we have that we go to our God as Father. We, we, we don't go to him timidly, like we don't deserve to, to be with him. We know that Jesus deserved to be in, in the presence of the Father, and he gave us access to fellowship with God when he was condemned in our place on the cross. We go to our God now as Father. He sees those who were once sinners, and he sees us now as being transformed into saints. Those who previously did not know God as now those who are, who are able and worthy to stand in his presence from now until eternity, calling him Father. With the assurance that he will never hide his face from us. No matter how many times we've turned our our face from him, no matter how many times we've turned our back on him, knowing that he will never hide his face from us, no matter what or how we stand against him, if we are truly his, then he is truly our Father. A Father who will always be there, who will be there to sustain us through the difficulties and hardships of this life, And then be there waiting for us in the next life to take every difficulty and hardship away from us as his people. This is our loving father. This is what we must know, what we must understand if we are to pray as Jesus instructs us to. This posture, this posture of being a child going to their father that Jesus tells us to have when we pray. is only possible because of the sacrifice of Jesus himself. Where the only one who deserved to be the son of God got condemned as a sinner. So those who deserve to be condemned as sinners get to be sons and daughters of God. This is the mind-blowing good news of the gospel that we see present in Matthew 6 9. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. God is our perfect father. He loves us perfectly. This is the foundation for our prayer life. If you don't understand this, or the the degree to which you understand this is the degree to which that our prayer lives are actually able to thrive and flourish, and the degree to which we do not understand this is the degree to which we will not approach God as we should, and we will struggle. We will struggle mightily as we pray to him couple weeks ago, uh, I know uh, a lot of you guys were here. Uh, we had our, our, our ordination Sunday. It was, we had people from out of town that were here. Uh, and so afterwards, uh, I know we don't generally uh, do this uh, here, but uh, in, in some churches, there's uh, after the, the preacher, after he preaches, oftentimes he goes and stands at the door and uh, people will kind of like form a line and like talk to him and tell him if they like the sermon, if they hated the sermon or whatever it is that they tell him. I don't know if we're going to do that here. Anyway, so I'm right here afterwards and I think some of our uh, people from out of town, that's what they were more used to. So it was like a little line of people, right here. And I was just chilling. I was like, all right, I guess we're doing this. We're doing this. It's cool. And uh, they were were just talking Had had a lot of great stuff to say. Uh, And then after a while, um, my kids got brought out of kid town and my boys, uh, Malachi and Colby, just ran up to me, like cut in line completely and just grabbed my leg and just started screaming, daddy, daddy. Like I have no idea what they they wanted at the time. I can't remember. Uh, The point is they saw their dad, whom they know, whom they know loves them. And they just ran. They just just ran to me. Their their understanding of of their relationship with me caused them to say, "I'm, I'm going to run to my dad and call him. I don't care if there are people in line. I don't care if other people want to talk to him. This is my dad. I have the right to come to him. I have the joy to come to him as my father. This is, I believe, what Jesus is getting at. He says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In this life, because he is in heaven, we, we're not able to physically see him. So the way that we run to him in, in, in war against our self-reliance is through prayer. The way we run to our God is, is by coming on our knees, praying to him as his children. Our relationship with our father is what drives our prayer life. And praying actually fights against our self-reliance. So what I'm saying is that our, our understanding of him as our father is crucial to us battling and dealing with and fighting against this self-reliance that we have, this pri- these prideful tendencies that we have to believe that we can fix ourselves on our own, that we are sufficient in and of ourselves. I say all that knowing full well that for many of us, it's difficult to see God as our Father. The truth is, for many of us, it's difficult to see God as our Father because of the sin that we have seen in the lives of our earthly fathers. We've seen this, and we, we, we can have a, a tendency to allow the, the, the sin of our imperfect fathers to, to kind of tarnish the way that we view our perfect, sinless Father who is in heaven. This can make it extremely difficult. Difficult. If that's you today, I want to encourage you to keep your eyes on the cross of Jesus. Instead of allowing those who, who are sinful to, to tarnish and dictate the way that we see God as our Father, that we instead look, look at our Father, look at what He has done for us. He, he sent His only begotten Son to die for us that we might be adopted into His family as sons and daughters. This, this is a perfect, sinless, loving, eternal Father that we have. And we let His actions speak for Him. We let his actions reveal to us who he is. We we, we strive and we seek to not let anyone else's actions determine for us who our God is. He has proven his love for us. He has proven that his love for us is greater than anyone else's love that we've ever seen or anyone else's love that we have desired to have. We fight against the lies in our minds that a father that any father that we have is one that would abandon us or one that would not be emotionally present for us or one that might not be a consistent provider for us. And instead we know that our God, our father, who is willing to execute his son and crush him on the cross for us, know his love is real. His love is real. His love is sustaining. If there was ever a time that God the Father was going to abandon us, it would be the time when he crushed his son on the cross. If there was ever a time when he was going to say, no, I'm done, I'm out, it would have been the time when he was grieving the death of his own son. If he did not give up on us at the cross, he does not give up on us in our difficult situations. If he did not give up on us when he was pouring out his wrath on his only begotten son, whom he had loved perfectly and infinitely for all eternity, If he did not give up on us then, he sure isn't giving up on us now. And we have a father that we are going to be with for all eternity. And he's going to take all the pain away. He's going to take every wound away, every wound away and every scar away that we felt from the sin of our natural fathers. He's going to take it all away. Every wound, every scar will be a distant memory in the rearview mirror. And we will be amazed as we gaze at the glory and beauty and love of our father. This is who we pray to. He has proven his love. He has proven his presence. He has proven his desire for us. He pursues us relentlessly. This is the foundation of our prayer life, that we approach him as a child who knows the love of our Father. Jesus continues to expound on this idea of us coming to God as as children. In Luke chapter 18, excuse me, This should be a word uh, that I want to focus on in verse 15. Luke 18, 15 through 17. Now they were bringing even infants to him. Remember that word infants. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. Excuse me. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked him. So the, the the people are bringing infants to God at this time. Children were, were very much looked down on. They were kind of they, they weren't seen probably as as fully human, if we're being honest. And and so the people were bringing these infants to Jesus. And his disciples who were around him were saying, "Why do you don't bring these infants to Jesus? Jesus has more important things to do." Verse sixteen. But Jesus called them to him, saying, "Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs." The kingdom of God. So the first thing he says is that to, to such, to, to children belong the, the, the kingdom of God, that children also are able to, to place faith, <clears throat> excuse me, place faith in Christ and join his kingdom. But also here's what he says. This is what I'm going to focus on for today. Verse 17. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. I'll say it again. Verse 17. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child, shall not enter it. In verse 15, the type of children that they were bringing to Jesus were infants. The disciples rebuked them and say, Don't do that. But then Jesus says, No, 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 let the children come to me. And then he looks out to a group of adults and says, Unless you come to me like this, like these infants. Thank you. You see, I'm struggling up here. I appreciate that. Unless you come to me like this, like these infants, you do not enter the kingdom of God. Jesus says. I have a four-month-old at the house, right? Here's one thing that I'm consistently reminded of every day of my life. There is no one more helpless than an infant. No one is more dependent upon the provision and upon the strength and the capacity of others as much as an infant is. And all the parents said... Thank you. She can't, she literally can do nothing for herself. She can't get her own food. She can't even bring the food to her mouth by herself. She can't clean herself. She can't dress herself. She can't protect herself from anything at all. She is completely helpless, completely dependent upon someone else to provide for her, to take care of her, to get her through every single day of her life. She is completely insufficient on her own. Jesus, as the infants are being brought to him, says to them, unless you enter like this, you do not enter the kingdom of heaven. That the posture of everyone who is a follower of Jesus, that we've all come to this point in our lives where we throw our hands up and say, God, I can't do this on my own. God, God, I can't make it. On my, I'm at my wit's end on my own. God, I'm, 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 I'm insufficient in and of myself. I need you. I need you. Jesus says in John chapter 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The, part, the, the, the heart posture of those who are growing in the kingdom of God is one of reliance upon God. Is one of an understanding of our own weakness and our own insufficiency and understanding of his strength and his sufficiency that he grants to us because we are his children and he is our father. Jesus uses this physical example to make a spiritual point. And those, in his ch- those in his kingdom come to him as a child, as an infant even, needy, desperate, unable to make it on our own. one thing I and mean, we don't we don't have the scripture for that this you'll notice about uh, if you if you research this passage in the book of Luke uh, that these children are actually set up in contrast to another man that approaches Jesus in the very next uh, in the very next passage of scripture it was a man who's a rich young ruler So right here, Jesus says, let the children come to me. And he says, unless you come to the kingdom of God like this, you don't get in. And the very next person that Luke points out that comes to Jesus is a man who is rich, a man who is in charge, a man who has authority. And he ends up rejecting God and and walking away from Jesus at the end of it. What point is Jesus making to us? That the things in our lives that might cause us to rely on ourselves can be a hindrance to us actually walking with Jesus. It can be a hindrance to us growing in Christ. This self-reliance, this this, I I build my life on my own, I don't have to rely on Jesus, is actually a rejection of God as our Father who provides for us and who gives us what we need. The Bible calls this pride. We think too highly of ourselves. I was meeting with a brother uh, a little while ago, Um, actually it was probably about a year ago now, and uh, we were going to talk about something with ministry, uh, and he asked me, he said, did you pray before this meeting? And I was like, yeah, no. Yeah, no, no, no. He said, you thought you could handle this meeting on your own? You thought you could navigate this, this meeting where we're talking about ministry to the people of God on your own without first going to God in prayer? And I was like, no. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely not. Little children, when they need something, they just come to you with their, with their requests, repeatedly, frequently. Parents know what I'm talking about up in here. With boldness, because they know that they don't have it on their own. They can't do it on their own. They're aware of this, and this drives a form of their communication with their parents. The neediness of a child drives them to come to their parents over and over and over again. But if we don't recognize our neediness, then we won't come to God. As the Father who provides and who grants us what we need. Jesus calls this posture that he wants us to have being poor in spirit. In Jesus' most famous sermon, in Matthew chapter 5, it's the Sermon on the Mount. This is a sermon that's probably quoted more than any other sermon. The first thing he says in this sermon, Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven you got to understand, poverty in Jesus' day looked very different than it looks today. There was no overarching government welfare program. There was no overarching uh, like, program for like, disability for Jews at that time. There was no government assistance that the Jews would, would receive. Those who were poor were lacking oftentimes food and shelter and were completely relying upon the generosity of random people for their needs to be met. Again, there's no overarching government assistance program that is going on. Those who are poor are truly poor. They're in a helpless and they're in a desperate situation. And the only way that they make it, the only way that they make it is if somebody who is sufficient, somebody who has sufficient resources decides to be kind to them in spite of themselves. If someone who who truly just cares for them will be willing to come and bless them, that's how you make it if you're poor in Jesus' day. Blind people would often sit on the street and just have a cup or whatever it is and just ask for money as they hear people walking by. Jesus says it is those who are poor in spirit that enter the kingdom of God. Those who spiritually see themselves as desperate, those who see themselves as as helpless spiritually on their own are the ones who actually approach God appropriately, Jesus says. All of us as believers, and we, we, we realize that we can't truly prosper spiritually without God. We've all come to him acknowledging our need for him. That's why we place faith for him in the first place. And that, that feeling that of, of helplessness, that feeling of desperation often fades over time, doesn't it? It's often easy to feel like, oh, well, you know, I've, I've learned the Bible a little bit now. I can quote some scriptures now. I've shared the gospel with people now. And, peop- and people are like, yeah, you, you really communicate who God is very well. Right, Maybe you were at a place before where you were in a desperate situation financially, but now you got money now. So you're like, I don't pray to God like that like I used to. I used to beg God for provision over and over again. And I used to be extremely grateful when he would provide for me in some amazing ways. But now I'm good. I'm good now. So I don't pray to God like... I used to. Maybe maybe you're good at your career. Maybe you've you've made a good career. You've gotten a good job. You're good at it. You're like, hey, I'm doing pretty well for myself now. Everybody from the outside looks in. It's like you built a good life for yourself. So your prayer life isn't what it used to be. Jesus calls us to be poor in spirit. One of the pastors at the Lexington Church, I heard him say one time, but we kind of live like we middle class in spirit. We kind of live like we, 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 we middle class in spirit. Jesus says those who are poor in spirit are the ones who enter the kingdom. Those who have this desperation, those who, know, those who know I need strength, I need sustenance, I need the sufficiency of someone else to be able to make it. That's poor in spirit, but we're like middle class in spirit. Like I'm generally pretty good. If something bad happens, then yeah, I'll run to God then. If something bad, if something tragic happens, then, then I know that I need God. We're middle class in spirit. I'm good for the most part. Yeah, sometimes I need help when things get hard, and I'll go to God then. But for the most part, I'm good. Prayerlessness is the life of the middle class in spirit. Prayerlessness is the life of the middle class in spirit. One of our other pastors, his name's Adam. Uh, as he was like just struggling with his prayer life and not praying in the way that he knew uh, he needed to. He was talking to an older gentleman, uh, just like a spiritual mentor uh, in the faith. Uh, and he was like trying to list out the different things, the different ways that, or the different reasons that he was not praying as he should. So he listed, out. I was like, well, sometimes with my schedule, I don't make time. And the dude stopped him. He was like, uh, Adam, uh, proud people don't pray. And he was like, yeah, I know. But I also, uh, what's going on? He's like, no, 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 you don't understand. Proud people don't pray. I heard you. I heard what you said. Here's what I'm saying is, I got these things going on. for He was like, no, 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 no. You think that is a thing. That is the thing. Humble people pray. Proud people don't. That is the thing. Humble people, desperate, needy people for God pray. Proud people do not pray. This is what he told Adam. I want to disagree with that with everything that I have. I'm going to be honest with you. But I can't. I've noticed in my own life, my, my prayer life fluctuates with how well I think I'm currently doing with my life. I've said multiple times before, I, I, I'm surprised God has not brought more hardship into my life than he has. Because I know I will come to him more. I will seek him more desperately, more passionately, more fervently when he does bring partnership into my life. I remember right after I graduated from college, I ended up getting the job. Uh, it was a job that was based on performance. So I had to build clientele, and, I, and a lot of it was based off of commission. So at first, when you start off like that, oftentimes you're not bringing in as much money as you want or maybe you need. And I remember just looking at the numbers and just going to God over and over again every day, like just asking God to, to provide and be faithful. He provided for me in some amazing ways, and I would just go to him with just so much gratitude and just be so amazed and in awe of him as, as my father who provides for me And then my clientele built up. And then I started hearing from my bosses how well I was doing on my job. And those prayers dwindled, dwindled, and dwindled to the point where it's like, I don't remember the last time I even thanked God, truly being grateful to God for his provision for me. I was like, I'm good. I'm good now. We run to God when we know that we're not good on our own. Jesus calls us to be in spirit. If I'm honest with you, I do the same thing with sermons. If it's a sermon that I'm not feeling too great about, it's like, I don't know how this is going to come together. I don't think it's going to be too good. Man, you'll see me praying, praying, praying. Just, just going in and praying. But it's a sermon that's like, no, I think this is a good one. I think it's going to be pretty good. i pray a little bit. Not as much as I would if I felt this, this, this anxiety or this nervousness about it. As if I have the power within myself to proclaim God's word with any type of power without the Holy Spirit working through the preaching of his word. But I've run to self-reliance instead of poverty in spirit. This idea of us being middle class in spirit is actually very ridiculous if you think about it. Like this, this idea that we're okay on our own is actually it's, it's, it's foolish. It's, it's folly at its finest because it's actually easy to see. If you just take a few minutes to, to analyze our lives, it's actually very easy to see uh, that, that all of us are poor in spirit. If I can share what I mean, oftentimes we find ourselves engaging in and yielding to the same sin struggles that we've been yielding to for years. The lust, the jealousy, the, the selfishness, the lack of generosity, the, the inability to control our anger the failing to trust God with his plans for our lives. We repeatedly hurt our loved ones with whether it's our neglect and our laziness or our forgetfulness, our, our temper, our selfishness. We live oftentimes burdened and hindered by our own shame that we feel that we have not given to God. We, we make promises to ourselves and sometimes we make promises to our God that God, I'm going to be better this time when we see ourselves running to the same thing over and over again. We know people who do not know Jesus and we have not prayed for them. We have not sought to share the good news of Jesus with them. We're afraid about our future, anxious about our future. We lose patience with those that God has called us to love. We hold on to bitterness in our hearts When God calls us to forgive even our enemies, we love and value things that God has created more than we love and value God. We are all desperately in need of our God. Any any notion that we have that we are okay on our own any day of our lives outside of God is foolishness at its finest. It is foolish to believe we are okay in and of ourselves outside of God. But we don't like to feel weak. We don't like to feel insufficient. Our pride has this desire in us where we want to feel like we're okay on our own. Middle class in spirit just feels better than being poor in spirit. You hear it in the phrases we say. Oh, if you just believe in yourself, you can accomplish anything. Don't believe that foolishness. <laughs> don't believe that foolishness. We rely and depend on God. We rely and depend on God as believers, as those who follow him. It's, it's not, the issue is not do, do, we, do we believe in ourselves enough. The issue is do we believe in our God enough to run to him over and over again as his children whom he loves. We don't like to hear stuff like this because we don't like being weak. We don't like feeling helpless on our own. But might this humility that God is seeking to birth in us, might it lead us to further and further prayer? I say prayer is the thing that, that allows uh, the, 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 the helpless to be able to find strength instead of being hopeless. Prayer allows us to be helpless without being hopeless because we are running to him, running to the one who can actually do something about our weakness. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 says it like this. This is Paul talking about what God has said to him. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. That word great, grace, you can also translate it kindness. It refers to God showing us favor in spite of what we've done, even when we don't deserve it. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. He said there's an aspect of his power being, being perfect. His power, is, his power is revealed to be perfect when, when we acknowledge our weakness. It reveals how glorious his power actually is. Paul says, this is his conclusion after hearing this from God. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. I'm not hiding my weaknesses. I'm not pretending like they're not there. I'm not in denial of my weaknesses. He says, I'm going to acknowledge them. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He's not trying to act like his weaknesses disappear. He's trying to hold his weaknesses out. He's trying to acknowledge them, understanding that that is actually creating space for the power of Christ to work in his life. We spend so much time trying to act like we're not weak. We spend so much time trying to hide our weaknesses from ourselves, trying to hide our weaknesses from others. Somebody brings up our weaknesses and we want to fight them. We want to confront people for confronting us in our weakness. Paul says... My power, or God said to Paul, my power is made perfect in weakness. Weakness is not something that we try to ignore. Weakness is something that we use to fuel us to run to God. See, the Christian that sees God correctly actually sees weakness as a means of, of gaining more of God and knowing him more and more. We must embrace this poverty of spirit. We must be willing to first acknowledge to ourselves our weakness. We must be willing to to go to God and present to God our weakness, knowing that he already knows it, but he desires us to come to him with our cares and with our weaknesses. And I say it's also important that we acknowledge our weaknesses with others, that they might pray for us as well. Paul says that his weakness allows God's perfect power to be on display. He says, I'm going to boast in it. My prayer for us is that we, we would embrace being poor in spirit, that we wouldn't run from the fact that we are weak, but we would let our weakness cause us to run to the Father, our loving, kind, patient, providing Father who was always there for us, who was here for us every step of the way in this life and is strong enough to carry us to eternal paradise with him in the next. Our challenge uh, for this week, if you haven't been with us every week, we've been doing a different challenge in our series, uh, Personal Liturgy. The the challenge for this week is simply to pray through the Lord's Prayer every day. That we would use the Lord's Prayer as different prompts to to instruct us on how we might pray. And in doing so, that we would make war, make war with the pride in our lives. That we would make war with the self-reliance in our lives. I want to go through, I'll just read, and you, you'll see it in the app. If you don't have the app, we would love for you to, uh, to download uh, that. You can just go to the, the, the Apple Store or the uh, Android, uh, Google Play Store, and download the app. It's just called Personal Liturgy. And what you'll find is, I'll just walk through very briefly uh, what we'll find this week. One of the, one of the first things you'll see, it'll, it'll just say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And it will give you some type of prompt that is a prayer prompt responding to so that maybe it's thanking God for being our father, even though we don't deserve to have him as our father. So maybe your first thing you'll do is you'll pray, God, just thank you for being my father. Just thank you for being my dad and just being there for me forever. And then he'll say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This will be our opportunity to pray for God's kingdom to come, for God's power to move in our world in your heart, in your home, in your family, in your friends, at your job, in Columbia, in the inner city two-notch, that God's kingdom will come with power, that we would see God snatch people out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his dear son, that we will pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that just like in heaven, the downtrodden have been lifted up, that that would be the case for our world, for our neighborhoods, for our community, that those who harm and abuse others would would, would repent and bless others instead that those who have been abused will find healing and peace in God the next point would just say give us today our daily bread this is your opportunity to go to God with your need very specifically God I need this I need this I need this and I need this I need this financially I need this materially I need this emotionally I need this spiritually Lord this is what I need from you I'm begging you for this It'll say, forgive us our debts. This is a prompt to confess any sin that you haven't confessed to God, any sin struggle that you've been been struggling with, and maybe you've been turning to, this is an opportunity to say, God, forgive me. Pursue and seek forgiveness in God. The next one will say, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lord, I'm holding on to this bitterness towards this person. Lord, this thing that happened yesterday, Lord, this thing that happened last week, Lord, this thing that happened 10 years ago, Lord, I haven't forgiven yet. Will you give me the strength to forgive? Please help me to forgive as you have forgiven me. The next one will say, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, keep me from yielding and submitting to these temptations over and over again. But would you give me the strength and the power to say no today? And then tomorrow you pray the same thing. Lord, would you give me the strength and power to say no to this thing today? And we live out this daily reliance on God, on the one who has the power to free us from evil. I believe as we do this, as we commit to this ongoing everyday prayer, praying through the Lord's prayer, that it will fight against the self-reliance in our lives, that, that praying to God to provide for us and be there for us to provide the power that we need will just become a part of our everyday lives. That this spiritual enemy of self-reliance, that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would weaken it and break it under his mighty hand in our lives. My prayers that all of us will commit to this challenge this week as we fight self-reliance. I'll pray for us and I'll transition to our time of partaking in communion together. Lord, you are, first, you're our father. You look out for us. You protect us. You provide for us. Lord, you are truly what we need, truly what we need. Lord, I pray for every one of us, Lord, that's gathered here in our presence today, God, that just has trouble seeing you as a loving father that has trouble seeing you as someone who has their good in mind every day, every moment of their lives. There's trouble seeing you as one who continuously pursues them moment by moment. Lord, I pray for faith for them. I pray for encouragement, Lord, to see you with new eyes, eyes that see through the cross of Jesus and understand your love and your commitment and your faithfulness to us as your people. And that sees you as a loving father that just is eager for us to run up to in prayer. Lord, for all of us, we can grow in this. We can can grow in this posture of I'm just a child who is helpless without you. We need you to do this work in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name I pray.